0: If you're here with us today, you know this. We've been doing a series on the blessings of fearing the Lord. And that's a really good thing. I want you to understand when you read the scriptures, when it talks about the fear of the Lord, almost all the time on the backside of the scriptures talking about that, it has very positive words to say about fearing the Lord. That's not a bad thing. Not a negative thing. If you're just hearing this, if you're a guest and you're just hearing this, I would encourage you, go listen to the last two messages we tried to thread the needle on the robust nuances of the meaning of fearing the Lord. But just for a quick recap to let you know, when we see the word, the fear of the Lord, there is so much nuance, but it captures two ideas of afraid, dread, holiness of the Lord, but also reverence and awe. And it's a unique combination of those two elements that come together in the fear of the Lord. And the Bible commends over and over, it's a blessed thing to fear the Lord. So today, um, it kind of fits well because we're still in this series of fearing the Lord. And take your Bible, go to Proverbs chapter thirty-one. It still fits. I want to talk about the fear of the Lord, particularly a woman that fears the Lord is to be praised. This message will not only be for moms; it'll be for women, but also God is equal opportunity when it comes to fearing Him. Right? So, men, you're you're don't worry, you're allowed to fear the Lord. So this is a broad net. But I do want to take some interesting things that we find in Proverbs chapter 31 in verse 10 through 31. When it comes to a woman that fears the Lord is to be praised. How would you do this? Would you take a copy of God's word on your phone and your hand? And would you stand and we're going to read this text. This is a topical series, so we're not going to mainly be expositing all of, of Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. But I want to give you some, some idea how to set up. As we read this, what I want you to understand uh, from from most commentators' perspective is this is this is Solomon, and this is the wise words of a mother teaching to Solomon, and it says this: an excellent wife who can find, this is part of her teaching to Solomon, which may believe would be the writer here, an excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels, the kind of wife. This Solomon is to look for. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and she will have no lack, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of his life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength, makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out by night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Can I just ask God's blessing? So we we do need you to help us to capture the original intent and then as we track towards other scriptures and develop the idea of a woman who fears the Lord. So... Let us capture the truth and let it be something that is edifying for moms and wives and women. But also, this is for all of God's people. Us men are just as accountable in Psalm 112 to the fear of the Lord and the fruit of what that looks like in our lives. So let us capture the text today. And God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. like I said, this message is for everybody, but I want to give some specific really applications of the text today and the scriptures when it comes to a woman that fears the Lord is to be praised. Notice I say in verse 30 of Proverbs 31, it says, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A lot of times this text is used to only describe wives or mothers. and And yes, no doubt, all the fruit of description from verse 10 through verse 29, it's talking about a woman who, it seems, is, is married and has children. But a couple things I want you to understand. When you read this text, don't go to this text and go, I need to measure myself. Like, have I been a really successful investor, right? And do I have plenty of servants? And is, am I, or am I, is my family wearing scarlet? If they're not, I must be disobedient to this text. Many women have read verses 10 through 29 and thought, how did this lady even function in sleep? Where in the like, who who has this kind of talent? But I want you to understand that this is Hebrew poetry. And it's actually meant as a way to praise one's wife and, and mother. It's a way to praise women in Hebrew society. It's actually in the Hebrew. It's 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 an acronym. When you see it goes through all the Hebrew alphabet through verses 10 through 29. It's actually a device to help. To actually help men to do the very purpose of what Mother's Day is actually meant to do. Of course, they didn't have it called Mother's Day, but you get the drift. That's really the contextual idea. So if you're a, a wife and a mom today and you're like, man, I have never, um, I don't have any ships of merchants and, uh, man, I, I mean, I don't have spices from afar. We've got salt and pepper in the house and that's about it. We got some garlic seasoning from Costco, but nothing that exotic. It's capturing the idea what, what the, what Solomon's mom, um, is trying to really capture is the idea of this is the kind of woman, is a woman who fears the Lord. This will be the fruits of her life. It's a, it's going to extremes. It's trying to describe a warrior type of woman, a warrior type of woman. This is the fruit. So don't go all man on man and look at this as a, as a woman and go, I got to be all these things. The real thrust of this passage is verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Notice in verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praises her. The thrust of it really is, does does this woman fear God? And when she is a God-fearing woman... Her husband recognizes it. Her children recognize it. You may think, well, I have neither of those. Does that apply to me? Yeah, because in the very beginning, when it says an excellent wife who can find, that word that's used for excellent is also used for Ruth. In the Old Testament, before she's married, as a single woman of excellent character. So a woman, it says, who fears the Lord is to be praised. So that's what I want to focus on for just our time. A woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. And all through society... Women have been praised. If you look at a lot of the pagan religions and you look at the the pagan goddesses that they actually uh, gods that they actually worship, have you ever noticed that a lot of them are actually women? Why is that? Because it wasn't hard to kind of piece things together that they're that you know. Just so you know, all of you here today, we all have a couple things in common. One thing is this: we all have moms. How do we know this? Well, because you couldn't be here without her. It just. It's still the math, it's still the science of how this whole thing works. So ancient cultures realize that kind of hand of mom has a huge influence on every single child and that her hand of influence is a huge influence. So even pagan cultures, they tended to, if you look at the kind of menu and buffet line of deities that they would worship, you could find many female deities of some sort that they're worshiping. You can even see this in, although I don't condone it, you can even see this within Christianity, right? If you look at the largest, um, which would call itself Christian denomination, which I would, you know, that's a long debate in itself, could we really say that? But take Catholicism. Um, Have you ever noticed Catholicism is ripe with the idea of honoring, uh, if, if not almost putting Mary to the same level of Jesus? What do we see in that even? This idea of women and mothering the the idea of it lifting itself up so it's not uncommon it's not uncommon even in our country i told you kind of the history of it earlier and even in the text here verse 28 her children rise up and call her blessed her husband also and he praises her it's even we have a whole 10 through 31 that's actually built out by god to kind of do this idea of Mother's Day, the original intent of even our American Mother's Day, which was find a way to actually praise her. Now, this text specifically is the idea of praise her as a God-fearer. And by the way, as moms, as women, as anybody who knows the Lord, that's the greatest compliment anybody could ever say. That's a person who fears the Lord. It used to be said all the time and it was a compliment. We barely hear it now. If someone says, oh man, there's Nick or there's Cindy, and boy, they really fear the Lord, usually that person would feel in the same breath they need to somehow sanitize that word as if that's an evil way to think and see God. I'd say that's not true. When we look through the totality of Scripture, the fear of God is not a minor issue. It's a major theme. It's a high compliment. If you hold your place there, also look back at Psalm chapter 112. Just so you do understand, although the thrust and the scope of application in today's message really is going to be directed towards women and wives and mothers, it's no less a doctrinal truth for men as well. How do I see that? Look at Psalm 112. Psalm 112 which it's just go to the left, one book. You don't have to turn very many places if you got the Proverbs. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. God's equal opportunity when it comes to fearing him. Who delights in his commandments. Just so you remember, when we say fear of the Lord, it's heavily nuanced. It's not just afraid, although that's a part of it, but it's also a delight, which is a part of it. So someone who is simply only afraid of the Lord, and if they were to say, Nick, do I fear the Lord? I would say, not in a biblical sense. It's that plus. And someone who fears the Lord not only obeys his commandments, but delights in his commandments. Look at verse 2. His offspring will be mighty in the land. A generation of the upright be blessed. You can see in Proverbs 31 this idea that that. That a woman who fears the Lord is blessed by her children and husband. But you can see here a man who delights in fearing God. His offspring will be mighty. And the generation of the upright will be blessed. It says wealth and riches are in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and merciful and righteous. Look at his character. Here's his kind of description. Verse 5. It is well... With the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affair with justice. This man who fears the Lord is generous just like the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. And notice verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved and he will be remembered forever. Just as verse 28 of Proverbs 31 that the children, that the children and husband will praise her for the fear of the Lord in her life. I'm saying God's equal opportunity when it comes to the fear of of God, is that he will be remembered forever. There will be a remembrance from his own posterity of the acknowledgement of the fear of the Lord in his life. Even you see the fruits of his life in verse 7. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Eight, Verse 8, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid. Until he looks in triumph at his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth. He melts away. The desires of the wicked will perish. Even the wicked are brought to shame when they look at the righteousness of a man who fears the Lord. So just so you understand, if you look at Proverbs 31 and go, man, that's, I mean, what about men? Well, you got Psalm 112 that parallels these same ideas. So I want you to understand, men, as I say some things and speak real specifically more to women, to wives, to mothers, there's, there's no escaping this and go, great, you know, who's, who's playing in game four tonight, right? I mean, nothing of that nature. Lock it in and still kind of walk with me through this. God's all for fearing a fear of him, and it's, it's for everybody. So here's what I, I want to kind of draw on is this idea of, Okay, it's not a minor issue, it's a major issue. It's said over and over. In fact, this, this pinnacle of a description of a godly wife and mom and woman, it says, the fear of the Lord is to be praised. So my next question would be this. How do we know a woman is fearing the Lord? Now, we see the evidence in the text, but is there, you know, is there some simple ways, and I'm going to give you something pastoral, practical. In my 25 years of being in pastoral ministry and sitting and counseling, um, I would say this. When I look at the fear of the Lord and how can a woman know that she fears the Lord, I think this is a great diagnostic. And I think there's one diagnostic in the text that is a great easy indicator of, does she fear the Lord? I would point you to verse 21. She is not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. I would point you. I would point you over to verse 26. Where, she, where it says, actually I'm losing my place here. Actually, verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at time to come. Look at verse 21 and 25. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Then look in verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs in time to come. Now, I see a lot of fruits that a woman who fears the Lord. And once again, we're not talking about perfection, we're talking about a warrior type um, warrior type description poetically of a woman who is full charge fearing the Lord. Don't think we're talking about perfection, but I do find this character trait in verse 21 and 25. And it's a great indicator of does a woman, does a wife, does a mother fear the Lord? It's does she live in the land of what ifs? Does she live in the land of what ifs? Now I'm I'm talking just pastoral today. This is what I've noticed. How can we really understand, do I fear the Lord? Many different ways, but I think if you're looking for, give me a simple diagnostic to get to the heart, I would say, do you live in the land of what ifs? The land of what ifs is the idea of, of okay, what's going to happen tomorrow? I'm afraid for tomorrow. What if this happens tomorrow? What if my kids turn out this way? What if this happens to my husband? What if I don't get married? What if, what if, what if my husband doesn't repent? What if he doesn't become a follower of Jesus? If, 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 if. It's called living in the land of what ifs. Now it's interesting, as a woman who fears the Lord, who has an unflinching trust in God, It says in verse 21, one of the character attributes of the praise of this woman is she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed in scarlet. Strength and dignity of her clothing, she laughs in time to come. She's not afraid of the future. She's not living in the land of what ifs. Now, the question would be this. Well, then how does one get out of the land of what ifs? How does a woman, even in particular, I know what you may be thinking, like, Nick, you're a man. How dare you speak about women issues? Right? <laughs> I get that. But it's in the text of Scripture, right? And, and like men are called to shepherd all of the congregation. And there is one thing I know in my own heart that I'm guilty of, that I've done. I think if there's a criticism, because before the Lord someday, I will actually be evaluated On ministry i'll be evaluated on my walk before the lord, but actually i'll there also be some evaluation of me During the pastoral years as long as the the lord allows me to do those And I will have to answer there's a high There's a there's a high accountability for those in teaching and preaching positions and I can tell you in, in all honesty If there's a weakness that I have when it comes to Ministry to men and to women and if you've ever done marriage counseling with me, you can you can know this I tend to be a lot harder on the men. And when it comes to women, it's almost like I kind of just give an easy pass at times. Or I don't, I don't, I don't want to harm. Or I'm thinking in my mind, well, like I'm a man and maybe I'm too hard here. Sometimes there's not an equal opportunity uh, at times. And so uh, I can know there's been so many times where I haven't spoken truth uh, because I was fearful to see the emotion Or I was fearful to think you're just a male chauvinist, right? I mean, all these kind of fears. So what I'm telling you today, this is not an axe to grind. It's a man who fears the Lord and fears not being completely honest and is gut wrenchingly honest. As I I hope I'm, I am with men. I want to be just as gut wrenchingly honest with women as well. And I want to do, and even on Mother's Day, it's a great day to actually do something like that because the greatest thing any mom can ever have. On her record is I just simply fear the Lord. Like I love him. I trust him. I fear him. So here's the thing I find. How does a woman keep herself from this idea of living in the land of what ifs? Well, the fear of the Lord will solve that. But but what particularly kind of gets you there? How do we kind of diagnose that? Well, I would say this. And it's a great one. One Puritan has said this. Um, The fear of man and a lack of fear of God comes with an ignorance of who God is. The lack, the fear of man and a lack of the fear of God comes with an ignorance of who God is. I think when we look at, and I even look at in life, like where do I see people living in the land of of anxiety and worry and stress and what if, what if, what if? is that there seems that there is a lack of understanding what the character of the one true God is like. And the more robust an understanding of what his character is like, the more robust the fear of the Lord will be. The more robust the fear of the Lord, the more you can see the fruits of that lived out in a Proverbs 31 kind of life for a woman. And the more the children and husbands have to praise. And just a side note, husbands and children do you praise your mom and do you praise your wife when you see her fearing the lord or do you just take it for granted like well i knew when i knew her she was following jesus but when's the last time you actually praised her When was the last time you saw her have her time with the lord in the word or have her time with the lord in praise or have her time with the lord in whatever she puts her hands to and that you were able to acknowledge and go hey i i so appreciate that that You know, that encourages me to see how you actually give yourself to the worship of the one true God. It seems in the text this is something that's normal. Then God has even placed it in the way it works for the Hebrew men to do this with their women. Now, we'll come back to Proverbs 31. But I want you to look at another portion of scripture that I think will help us a little bit further. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And in my time in pastoral ministry, where I have seen... This living in the land of what-ifs, a low amount of the fear of the Lord, is when there is an ignorance to the character of God, or I would even say not a rehearsal of the character of God. And we see even a passage in Philippians chapter 4 that really expresses how to get out of the land of what-ifs. How to really live under the fear of the Lord. Although it doesn't use that phrasing, it would be the truth of it. Look in verse 4. Of chapter four of Philippians, and it says a couple things I think are really interesting. It says in verse four, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Just so you know, he's helping you deal with anxiety. So if you're kind of here this morning, you're like, Yeah, Nick, that's me. I live in the land of what is. I need to grow in my understanding of the fear of the Lord. Like I need to do that. Here is a template for how to actually do that. So he says, first, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. There is a praise that contributes to the peace of one's life. Like, are you able to actually praise God? Are you able to thank God? Is there a thank, a thankfulness that flows out of your soul in the day's events? Even when the day's events aren't perfect, can you see forward and say, Lord, you're so in control of this situation, this will work out for my good. So he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. I'll be honest with you, isn't it easy to be negative, hard to be positive? When there's a fear of the Lord, you're able to rejoice. Uh, if you kind of think in here like, man, I live in the land of what ifs. I have that kind of anxiousness you're talking about, Nick. I will tell you this, what is your rejoicing meter look like? Have you been able to take an inventory and rejoice in the Lord? I had someone recently that I told this, I said, hey, on on your way to work each day, why don't you just actually find ways to praise him? Why don't you find ways to praise him? The results were amazing. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice, not only is she a person who is constantly rejoicing and finding ways to rejoice This is how she's fighting anxiety, fighting, living in the land of what is, living this this idea of the fear of the Lord in her life, growing that. But she also is not only a rejoicer, but she's a prayer. There's one thing I've noticed that that women typically do much better even than men, although we're not trying to create a competition here. It's prayer. And the promise in verse seven is that God's peace that passes all understanding or guard your hearts and minds. Side note, that's nothing about making decisions. It's everything about you're anxious. Take it to Jesus in prayer. So if you're wondering, do I fear the Lord? I would say, is there constant rejoicing in your life? Even when things are bad, can you still rejoice in his character? Because you know, I think it's an ignorance of God's character that causes this lack of fear of the Lord. But then also I would say is this, is there a constant going to him in prayer? Is there a petitioning? Is there a thanksgiving in your prayers? You'll see that the peace of God passes all understanding. It helps not live in the land of anxiousness, of the land of what ifs. But look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Then he says this. What you've learned and received and heard, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Notice this. So I'm trying to tie in a lot of scripture together. Hopefully I'm not losing you. It all makes sense in my mind. may not make sense to everybody else. Someone asked me today and said, Nick, you're wearing a sport jacket. Is there a funeral today? I was like, nope. That's just my sermon that's coming, right? So hopefully you can hang with me on my thought that's that's hitting here. But a woman who fears the Lord, where have I seen the, the easiest way for a woman to say, let me take an evaluation of my life. How is the fear of the Lord? I would say, are you living in the land of what ifs? And the solution to not living in the land of what ifs and driving the fear of the Lord in your life is this idea of can I rejoice in the face of that anxiousness to come? Can I go to the Lord in prayer in and of this anxiousness to come? And then can I do this? Can I think about things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely commendable and excellent and worthy of praise, and then you'll experience the fear of God and you'll have less anxiety about the future. Now, what I want to point to is this. Verse 8 is so key. In my time in pastoral ministry, and this is men and women, but just dealing with women and wives and mothers and this absorbed kind of idea of being afraid for the future, I would say... There is an ignorance of rehearsing what the one true God is like. And the more that is rehearsed, the more we see verse 8. The more we think about the trueness of God, the honorables of God, what is true and lovely and pure and commendable and worthy of praise. When we're thinking about God's character more and more, when we're thinking about the things of verse 8, which could be lots of different things in life, so get me wrong, but even thinking about the Lord himself, what his character is like, I have seen wives, mothers, grandmothers spiral up in their fear of the Lord. I have seen them spiral up. I have seen even the praise of their lifestyle being recognized by those, by their children and husbands around them. If you want to escape anxiety in a, by escaping living in the land of what ifs, because I want you to understand, anxiousness, we're anxious about things. When we're anxious, we're just anxious about things in the future. And God hasn't promised us to deal with the things of the future. He's promised that He'll be there in the future and that His grace will be sufficient for the future. But when we're actually worrying and anxious about the future, we're basically expressing to God that you are twiddling your thumbs and you have no idea about what's going on and what happens if everything breaks apart. But a woman who fears the Lord, she's not afraid of winter. She laughs at time to come. And, And that's a diagnostic. And... What I find is, when a woman is rejoicing, not going right to the negative, not waking up and the first thing she sees is the ways that her kids aren't doing right, but can she even acknowledge the things that are going right? Or when it comes to your husband, there could be 15 things out of our sinful nature we just want to knee-jerk to and criticize, 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 criticize. And don't get me wrong, there's gentle admonishment that should happen. But also, how long has it been that you've just been able to rejoice and affirm something good? Well, a wife that fears the Lord can do those kind of things. It, and it will help not live in the land of what is in an anxiety. Going to the Lord in prayer and trusting Him. But I want to think more about verse 8. The thinking. Are we really resting and thinking deeply about God's character and what He's like? One of my favorite songs we sang today. Behold Our God. Isn't that a great song? I got one person who thinks it's a great song. Isn't that an awesome song? If you don't think it's an awesome song, you stink. (laughs) That's all I got to tell you. I I don't know what way to put it. That was the most sanitized language I could figure out right now, right? I love that song. Thinking about our God. Thinking about what He's like. Beholding Him. Being in awe of Him. That's a song about fearing the Lord. And I will tell you, We will live less in the land of what ifs. We will not be afraid for winter and we'll laugh in time to come when we have an unflinching trust in God's sovereignty, when we know his character. If I could say anything that in my time of ministering to women, to wives, to mothers, to grandmothers, it's this idea of a big view of a sovereign God will be the sweet fragrance to your soul to fear the Lord in such a way that you won't live in the land of what-ifs. When I say God is sovereign, what I am meaning is... He is all-powerful. He has absolute control. And He accomplishes all His will. And there is never a time where He is twiddling His hands... Wondering what's going to happen. And even the most disappointment, disappointing and discouraging things in life... His sovereign hand has placed it and put it there... So that much could be made of His name... And every idea that you would have that this is haphazard is a wrong thought. You don't have to turn there, but I love John 9. You remember John 9, there was the story of the man that was born blind from birth. remember the disciples come to Jesus and it's like, who sinned? This man or his parents? Basically, did this man sin in utero while he was in his mother's uterus? Or did his parents sin that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither. So that the... Glory of God could be made manifest, right? So that God could be glorified and God heals him. There was a providential plan that God had for that. The disciples didn't see it. I don't know if his parents saw it. I don't even know if that guy saw it. But God had it the whole time. Our view of God, just because we think deficient about God, doesn't mean his sovereignty is deficient. It's still the same. And I will tell you, if you want to be a woman who fears the Lord, This one of the kind of broken down aspects that is there's not you've got to constantly settle in Philippians four, eight, this idea of the sovereignty of God. Think about rehearse to yourself, replay to yourself, read scripture about meditate on, remind yourself, remind yourself about how small you are and how big he is. Let me give you an example of this. um, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter forty. The, the little context behind what's going on is there's a description that the children of Israel will be coming back. They'll be coming back from from exile in Babylon, and it's it's going to be difficult. It's going to be scary. It's going to be strange. And the thought is even could this even happen? Remember Judah will eventually be brought to exile. Mighty Babylon. But mighty Babylon will eventually be overthrown by the Persian Empire. And King Cyrus will be returning them back to their land. But I love the description, Isaiah 40, of the sovereign, almighty, powerful hand of God. Look in Isaiah 40, verse 10. We're going to read a little bit. Are you all okay with reading? It's happening anyways, okay? I got one person who said it was okay. Behold... The Lord God comes with might. They needed a reminder about what his character was like. They needed to be a reminder of don't be ignorant of his sovereign hand. They needed this reminder so they wouldn't live in the land of what if? What if this doesn't happen? God has said, I will bring it about. Verse 10, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him. And his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. There's a description in Isaiah 40 of them coming back to the land, verse 12. Let me give you some of the justification the uh, the writer is saying that you can know this is true that what God has said will come to pass. He has measured the waters. And the hollow of his hand. Do you know what the hollow of your hand is? It's that amount of water that you can hold in your hands, right? Which is a very small amount, okay? Uh, You know, if you were just to cup your hand and try to hold water, you couldn't hold a full cup. It would just be ounces that you could hold in the hollow of your hand. And the writer is saying, hey, how immeasurable is this God? How sovereign is he? Take all the water on the planet, and it can be held in just the small hollow of a hand, of his hand. And he says this: "And who has marked off the heavens with a span? A span would be from your pinky tip to your thumb. This kind of length is just basically saying he he has marked and measured the galaxies between his fingertip and his thumb." By the way, these are anthropomorphic terms. That's not God's a spirit doesn't literally have that. It's just it, God is condescending to language that we can understand. Look at this. Enclose the dust of the earth in a measure and weigh the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. They're so small, even the mountains, that he can weigh them. Verse 13. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Just saying, this is the immeasurable God we're dealing with. You can't even measure him. His spirit is so, is so infinite, so everywhere. Verse 14. Whom did he consult and who made him understand? So just basically decrying. This is the sovereign, the sovereign God. No one educates God. Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge? Or showed him the way of understanding. God's unlimited in his knowledge. Verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. And are counted as dust on the scales. Mighty Babylon will fall. Mighty Assyria will uh, fail. Persia's not that great. No nation is great. They're a drop in the bucket. They're like dust on a scale. When you got dust on a scale... You can, throw, you can throw a lot of dust on a scale, but that's actually not going to do anything. It's like if you get up to weigh in the morning, if you've got a scale in your bathroom, right, and you decide to get on the scale and you're thinking, ooh, that number's a little higher than it was yesterday. You can try to go get a washcloth and try to wash it off and thinking, oh, the dust must be two pounds worth, right? It was the dust on my scale. Well, surely it was. No, nope, it wasn't. That dust, the dust that fell overnight didn't account for anything, He's saying this is what God is like. Everything is like, the nations are like dust on the scales. They don't change anything compared to his sovereignty. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Verse 16. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for burnt offerings. All the nations are nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. He's just saying... He's just decrying the unlimited sovereign power and glory of God. No one can compare and no one can measure. Now, I will tell you this. I've noticed for wives, for women, for mothers, for grandmothers, one of the big things of do I fear the Lord is do you live in the land of what ifs? And the solution, one of the big solutions to not living in the land of what ifs is recalling and rehearsing The character of what God is like. To behold a truly infinite, all-powerful, almighty, immeasurable God who does not faint or grow weary. He's so unlimited. uh, I mean, we could keep... Let's just keep looking at the chapter. Why not? Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to Him? An idol? Well... And a craftsman, he'll cast an idol. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up the idol and not move. So he just says, what will you like in this God? you want to build an idol? Notice that you have to build this idol, you have to overlay it, and then you have to figure out some way for it to stand upright. But let me show you how sovereign and powerful this God is. Do you not know in verse 21, do you not hear... Has it been I told you from the beginning? Have you not understood that from the foundations of the earth, it is he who sits above the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He's basically saying, all the other gods, you have to kind of nail into a floor to keep them upright. No one holds this God upright. He rises above it all. He is above the circle of the earth. He stretches, in verse 22, the heavens like a curtain. He spreads them like a tent to dwell in. He Brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Basically saying, all the rulers, Israel, like they're all pawns. They they don't have this unlimited power. Take a big view of what God is like. Bump over to verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Nothing stops this sovereign God. He doesn't get tired. He has been here forever. No one created him. Verse 29. He gives, now, now watch what happens. As a result of the sovereign God, as a result of Philippians 4-8, right? Basically, when you read Isaiah 40 and what we've been reading, it's basically your Old Testament version of Philippians 4-8. Think on these things. Think on these things, right? And the God of peace will be with you, right? Now, look what he says. This God, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait, who hope for the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, contextually, we're pointing towards Israel, coming back to the land and the pathway from exile but let me give you the bigger application. Notice, a big look at a sovereign, all-powerful, in-control God, a Philippians 4-8 kind of mindset, brings this idea that he will bring strength to the exhausted. For the, He will renew strength. And if we're honest, here's what happens. When we're living in the land of what-ifs, when we don't have a big view of God, when we're not living in the fear of God, We're afraid for the future, and what happens is it zaps our strength, doesn't it? It zaps everything away. There's this anxiousness and fearfulness, and we become paralyzed. We become paralyzed to even make the next decisions in life. And what does a wife, a woman, a mother, a grandmother need? Here's what she needs a great grandmother, if you can get there. Here's what she needs she needs to remind herself about the character of the one true God. She needs to remind herself that he is sovereign, in all power, in all control, has all plan. She needs to drive up a true fear of the Lord in her life. She needs to drive up this idea that Acts 17 28 says, In him we live and move and exist. He is in that control. She needs to drive up the idea that in him do all things consist and in him all things hold together. He is so powerful. That right now, humanity would collapse in on itself. We, we would fall to the floor like a puddle if it wasn't for his sovereign hand. I mean, you know this. You are even able to even talk today or walk because his sovereign hand is sustaining you to this moment. If God were to instantly take his hand off of us, take his hand off the globe, it, it would be absolute anarchy within one millisecond. He is completely sovereign over everything. And the greater we drive up that trust in his sovereignty, the greater we know him, the more there will be a greater fear of the Lord. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, just get this, in the years of pastoral ministry and doing ministry to men and women, I find this living in the land of what ifs that happens so much. There is this anxiety for the future. And my encouragement to wives, to mothers, um, to women is this. This is the solution to anxiety. A big God who's in complete control. The solution is not the silly, flimsy things of man. Although I wouldn't tell you that, that that things like, for instance, not all psychotropic medicine is wrong. But I will tell you this. The first place to run is not that. Now, if that's where you're at, don't sit there and go, I'm going to stop taking it. That's between you and your doctor. But I will tell you this. Be weary for your own soul. Our pharmaceutical industry has commercials, and those commercials are impressing ideas on us. And before, we, we, we don't see ourselves sometimes properly anthropology-wise. Anthropology is the study of, of man, right? What God has said about man. We sometimes think we are just biological bodies, right? And the way to solve our anxiousness is mere biology. I'll tell you. Your biology can have a huge impact, right? Like for instance, if you've just had a child, right, you, you know that hormones, there's hormone surges that are happening. If you've had a surgery, there's, there's things that happen in your body. You, you, there's people that, like for instance, there's sometimes people have had anxiousness because there was something biological going on. It could have been hyperthyroidism. I mean, I've seen that, but I don't want to take away from that. I tell women all the time, man, if you're experiencing anxiety and worry, go to your doctor, get as much testing as your insurance will allow you to, and find out is there anything biological that can be measured that, that could be contributing factors because we are physical. But then I also say this. We're also inward. And the worship of the one true God has a profound impact on our life. And it is get that is getting minimized in our culture. We, we are Letting a pharmaceutical industry make us think we are just merely biology. And I want to tell you, we are more than that. We are a soul that worships and a soul that has an unflinching trust and the power and purpose of a sovereign God is a soul that is able to look to the future and not be afraid. It's a soul that has truly feared the Lord. And the interesting thing is that the fear of the Lord drives her up, spirals her up. So we'll end with this. Go back over to Proverbs 31. By the way, next week I want to look at some more attributes of God. So it can be this kind of idea where it's like, great, Nick, she trusts God's sovereignty. But what if I don't trust that he's good? Well, guess what? Next week we're going to look at how does, I mean, because you can know God's sovereign, but not believe he's good. And then we're still not at the fear of the Lord. Don't worry. We're going to be direct this to everybody, even to men next week, right? We're going to look at His holiness next week. How does that contribute in this idea of, of of knowing what the one true God is like? Like, like this is how we know we fear the Lord when we know what the one true God is like. We'll look at redemption. We'll look at repentance. But as we end this off, go back over to Proverbs chapter thirty-one, verse ten through twenty-nine. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10 through 29. Everything we read in Proverbs 31 earlier, in verses 10 through 29, all that is the fruit. This is a fictitious woman, by the way. But all those character descriptions of a virtuous woman, of a warrior woman, that's all a result of verse 30. Charm is deceitful. And beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Our culture and society make everything about. How charming is she? And how beautiful is she? And don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with those things. Right? I mean when you read about the character traits of this warrior woman. She was dressed nice. Right? I mean you know. You know. She had an Amazon cart full. Right? I mean like. She dressed good. But ultimately, she dressed herself well with the character of the one true God. And her husband and her kids praised her. And she had much to praise. She feared the Lord. The greatest thing you can do today for your mother and your wife and women around you is where you see them fearing the Lord is to praise. And the greatest thing, you praise her for it. But I can tell you, as a if you're a woman, a wife, a mom, a grandmother... The greatest thing today is do I fear the Lord? And if you're living in the land of what is, my friend, go visit Isaiah 40. Revisit the Bible. Revisit his character. Get A.W. Tozer's attributes of God. Like, do anything you can to start discovering how awesome the one true God. When we sang the song while ago about Behold Our God, that is something to remind you of a sovereign, all-powerful, all-control God. I'll end with this Mother's Day story. God revealed this to me years ago. Um, I remember when we were, when our first child, Arabella, um, our first Mother's Day, um, that, you know, Cindy's, you know, she's with with child. It's early on. And I read this book called What to Expect When You're Expecting. Do y'all remember that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting? Right? Do y'all remember that? I remember reading this book and it telling you what you should do to make sure you have a happy, healthy baby. And it was all about, like, eat this, eat that, eat this, eat that. And so I thought, well, it said do it, do it. And so I can remember, like, cutting up cantaloupe and, like, you know, sending it with her and calling her at 3 o'clock saying, did you eat your cantaloupe? You know, like, all these kind of crazy things. And I remember, like, she wasn't doing it. And, like, she wasn't going according to my sovereign plan. And I remember like getting so upset and frustrated Then one day I said something. It, it was like, I said it, and it's like once it was coming out of your mouth, you could kind of see, like, man, this is terrible. Like, let me grab that back out of the air and pull it back in, but you just can't do it. So one more day we had another cantaloupe fiasco. And I said to her, I don't know if you love this baby. I know. It's like as I said it, I was like, grab it out of the air. <laughs> Couldn't do it. I know y'all are like, like, ooh, that's bad. Some some husbands are like, I have even said that. (laughs) Well, now if you wonder, can you be a pastor? Well, I mean, like you haven't done as bad as me. Still hope for you. And so, I mean, man, that was a wake-up call. So I had to kind of get with the Lord. (laughs) And y'all discovered in in those moments why I would even say something like that. It's because I really wasn't fearing the Lord. I wasn't fearing him. I wasn't resting in what his character is truly like. I didn't believe he was sovereign and that he was good. I thought this can only be good if Arabella is born a certain way with a certain health and doesn't inconvenience our life. And if she did have something wrong, like I would think it could be a part of God's plan. I had to re-study the scriptures and go, do I really think about his character the way I should think about his character? Is his sovereignty even good? Is he good? And guess what? It changed me in a heartbeat. I went from anxiety in living in the land of what ifs with our first daughter, to saying, I fear the Lord. Whatever happens is according to his plan. If he gives, if he takes away, if health is good, if health is bad, blessed be his name. I fear the Lord more than I trust the puny thoughts of man. And at that point, never said such a stupid thing again. Would you stand and pray with me as we have a time of taking the Lord's Supper and Singing to the Lord. Honor our moms and the women in our lives and help us to be people who fear the Lord. If someone's here who has not trusted Christ as King and Savior, oh, let them fear the Lord and fear His wrath and judgment. Let them kiss the Son. Let them confess their sin and place trust and faith alone in the finished work of the cross. Help us. Let us praise you now as we take the Lord's Supper through the middle of this song. In Jesus' name, amen.